if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, <laughs> they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now, 10 minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer. It is a Monday, the fifth morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 2020. We are less than a month away from the presidential election on November 3rd. We are one day away from early voting starting tomorrow. And I cannot tell you how extraordinarily important it is that we get out there and vote en masse, and we do so very, very early. Make sure you do not put anything to chance. Talking about absentee ballots, talking about mail-in voting, talking about even election day, if you're worried about your schedule that day. If you have the opportunity to go to your board of elections and cast a vote early in person, do so. And make sure that you look and see that your vote is tabulated. Uh, it's so extraordinarily important. Uh, today's last day to register, by the way, too, as you heard in the top of the hour, uh, news report uh, from uh, Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. I want to come back to the election in a moment and to your phone calls, too. While also sharing this story with you, this is um, th- this is just, you know, we, we played the, the President Reagan, uh, you know, We Are Americans, uh, a few of the excerpts from his speech there, as we do at the top of every hour, from back in his 1981, January 20th, 1981 uh, inaugural address. And, um, you know, I love it, obviously. That's why I play it literally twice uh, a day at the top of each hour. And at the end, you know, when he says, we are Americans, uh, what does that mean in 2020 compared to what it meant back in 1981? Um, I, I, we're in a place where I'm just a little bit freaked out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story with you about football. No, not the professional football league, the WFL. Uh, I have renamed the NFL the WFL because they are the woke football league. I will not support them. I will not watch them. Did not watch them. Did see headlines when I was watching the news about their scores, and they won a game yesterday. Super good for you. Uh, Not going to be a part of it. Not going to be able to enjoy it because of their extraordinarily dangerous uh, promotion of uh, Marxism, their promotion of racial division, and worse. But now I'm talking about college football. An Ohio State University professor wrote an article for Inside Higher Ed, which is perfect for him because that's what he's a professor of. Matthew Mayhew 
is the William Ray and Marie Adamson Flesher Professor of Higher Ed at Ohio State University. He has published more than 75 peer-reviewed articles in journals and is the co-author of a book called How College Affects Students, Volume 3. Well, Professor Mayhew wrote an article just a, a couple of weeks back that he now has been forced to apologize profusely for writing. What is in this extraordinarily dangerous and damaging article about college football that would require a profound, groveling apology? Well, he says he loves college football and that America needs college football back. That apparently is a racist and white supremacist opinion. I want you to listen to a little bit of the article from Professor Matthew Mayhew at The Ohio State University. This is what has caused him much consternation now in his career. The world needs college football, exclaimed a fellow Buckeye as his face lit up with joy upon hearing the news. After months of deliberation and planning, the Big Ten finally announced the fate of college football in the age of COVID-19. The fall season is slated to kick off on the weekend of October 24th. Although many concerns remain about the health and safety of players and spectators, we happen to agree. College football may be an essential element of our functioning democracy. Here's why. As college campuses attempt to find a new normal suitable for the COVID-19 realities, college athletics, especially college football, have garnered much attention. Debates continue about whether players should be required to play this fall season. Although many people have been outspoken about the financial and health ramifications of allowing or requiring players to gear up, few, if any, have addressed the essential role that college football may play toward healing a democracy made more fragile by disease, racial unrest, and contested presidential election cycles. Essentializing college football might help us get through these uncharacteristically difficult times of great isolation, division, and uncertainty. Indeed, college football holds a special bipartisan place in the American heart. At a time when colleges and universities have been placed under extreme scrutiny, many people are questioning the very value and purpose of higher education. College football reminds many Americans of the community values that underscore higher education, and by extension, America itself. One Wolverine does not have to uh, know another by name, but the sight of maize and blue accompanied by Hail to the Victors unites uh, anonymities through these shared experiences. Interesting, by the way, that he chose Wolverines, (laughs) and he's an Ohio State professor, but you get his point. Americans have lost the united sense of who we are as a nation. This election season has demonstrated how stifled, polarized, and dangerous our political differences have become. And college football can remind us of respect, even in the wake of deep disagreement. That's a great line. College football can remind us of respect, even in the wake of deep disagreement. We can root for different teams, scream at the players, argue with the refs, and question the coaches. But win or lose at the end of the day, we leave the stadium, watch party or tailgate with a sense of respect for the game. And the athletes that train so hard, leaving it all out on the field every time. Indeed, if a player is injured, the entire stadium usually applauds, not just fans from one team. Deep difference doesn't have to lead to disrespect. In addition, football players have become uh, beloved community figures beyond the boundaries of the stadium on campus. 
Football players give a platform to make statements about issues they care about. We have seen student-athletes taking part in protests and making demands for racial equity. We have seen student-athletes kneel to protest police brutality. Colleges and universities should take many more steps to empower athletes to engage with the community. Depriving them of the opportunity to play does not accomplish that goal. Now I'm going to pause here for editorial comment. I disagree with that element of this. I do not believe that racial... Uh, diversity symposiums need to be held in college football stadiums. I do not believe that kneeling during the national anthem to protest perceived injustices in policing belongs in college stadiums. I disagree with that. I agree with everything he has written thus far about the need for college football because it does help bring people together. What he just described in that paragraph does indeed tear them apart. Continuing now in the article. Finally, let's not forget how the low morale of this country has been over the last six months or so. Or how low it has been. Uh, People are fed up with the new conditions and limitations that the coronavirus forced onto their lives. And they need an outlet. They need those lost football Saturdays gathered around the TV. They need a more socially responsible tailgate as a means of experiencing some modicum of normalcy. This all may not make sense for the people who did not grow up in places where college football was a part of the identity of this state. But here in Ohio, everyone is a Buckeye. To be clear, we are not suggesting that athletes put their lives or their health at risk for the sake of entertainment. Players, coaches, and fans should strictly adhere to safety guidelines. And to be clear, we frankly hated writing this piece. As higher education experts, we routinely scrutinize and criticize colleges and universities for placing too much emphasis on athletics. And it pains us to admit that college football may play a starring role in the political theater of American life. That said, to many people, college football represents an America where competition is sanctioned, community is encouraged, and disagreement is emotionally regulated. If nothing else, it gives us a reason to cheer. All right, now that was the full text of the letter written by Ohio State uh, Professor of Higher Education Matthew Mayhew. Apparently he wrote it in conjunction with Musba Shaheen, a Ph.D. student in higher education. And for the almost the entirety of the, of the editorial, um, it was praising the glory of college football and its importance on the lives of students and really indeed citizens throughout the state in a place like Ohio with respect to Ohio State. And he even mentioned Michigan. When you see the maize in blue and you hear hail to the victors, anybody, if you're a Michigan you know, fan or a Michigan uh, uh, a resident, anybody who hears that immediately puts aside whatever differences they have and they unite with one another and they high-five. It's a great builder of camaraderie. So his article, like I said, with the very, very, very small exception of the one paragraph about how they should be able to uh, bring their political opinions inside the stadium, the article essentially said, we miss college football as a nation. We really should have it back. But rather than be praised for that very simple and harmless notion, he received immense criticism at Ohio State. He was called a racist and a white supremacist for promoting college football during a time of division in America. He was forced to write an apology letter, a groveling, deeply snowflakey apology letter to the black community for daring to be insensitive 
His apology letter included the following. I learned that I could have entitled the piece, Why America Needs Black Athletes. I learned that black men putting their bodies on the line for my employment enjoyment is inspired and maintained by my uninformed but disconnected whiteness. And as written in my previous article, positions student-athletes as white property. Wait, what? This, this Ohio State professor is now saying that by writing his come-on-back college football article, he perceives black athletes as property of white people. Slaves. Property equals slaves. He is essentially admitting to something that he did not say. But because he wants his job, he has to apologize for and say that, yes, my article positions student-athletes as white property. I apologize to black men for asking you to put your bodies on the line for my enjoyment. By the way, did you know that college football... College football rosters are populated by 100% African Americans. Did you know that? That's going to be news to my son, who's a senior in high school, but will be a Division I player next year, as he is already verbally committed to Ball State University. Apparently, he's going to be black when he gets there, and he's going to be a slave to white people when he is. I have learned that I placed the onus of responsibility for democratic healing on black communities, writes the professor, whose very lives are in danger every single day. And that this notion of democratic healing is especially problematic since the black community can't benefit from the ideals that they can't access. I have learned that words like distraction and sheer erase the present painful moments within the nation, and especially the black community. This guy was forced to go full-on white-shaming for the purposes of keeping his job at Ohio State. What is going on at The Ohio State University? They have become a joke. All right, it's 1023. Your Your phone call's right after this, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1028, let's get a call or two in here before the bottom of the hour. Mike in Maryland. Wow, we got people coming. I feel like I'm doing the Prager or the Elder Show. I got people calling from New York, from Maryland, uh, all for the Cleveland Show. But you're welcome here, Mike. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Hey, listen, I was over at Walt Reed this morning, uh, about 6.30 a.m. There was another guy there, me and him. I just want to go over there and wish the president well wishes and put a little, I took a little selfie video and put it on for my Facebook friends. And, uh, I mean, there's a good good vibe over there with uh, people showing up to support them. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of people come up, and they're, like, antagonistic to the supporters. And that's what the pre- – there's a battery of press cameras out there, and that basically they want to show. But, you know, the real story is there's so many people coming from around the country just to show their appreciation for President Trump in this time. 
Well, neither one of those things are a surprise, that thousands of people are coming from all over the country to support the president outside the center, and that that will draw all of the haters, all of the Antifa, all of the you know Biden voters that usually are out there destroying their own cities to come and antagonize and try to start trouble with the, uh, uh, with the Trump supporters. This is what they do. They believe Trump uh, supporters are, what, what did Hillary call them, deplorables. And now, yeah. you know, they're just calling them openly. They're calling them racist. They're calling them uh, uh, Neanderthals and all kinds of other things. So if they see support for the president, they feel like it's their job to try to interrupt that support. Right. And one other point I want to make is I used to work for President Trump, and I worked for Pres- Vice President Biden in the White House. I was a stenographer there for several years. I also worked for President Bush. And what's happened with the way the press has presented, I, I worked in the press office. The press has presented their side of what goes on in the White House. It's, it's become totally distorted. The way the press lies about President Trump is awful. And the way they back up what Pre- Vice President Biden did, I mean, you saw it in that almost uh, right unfolding right in front of you on the, during the debate. But for years, it's been behind the scenes. It's an awful situation. President Trump's the only one strong enough to sort of push through it with his Twitter with his going down the street in front of his in front of Walter Reed, that's the only way people could really get the truth that he's okay to be out. He's he's not physically infirm. He's not bedridden. They saw him. They visually saw him. So he's got to take these extra measures to basically promote his presidency above and beyond what the media tries to demote with him. Well, you know, you're you're right, and they're angry. And thanks for the call, Mike. I appreciate it from Maryland. Uh, they're angry. Uh, the left is that President Trump is able to be in a car and driving around and, and waving at supporters and continuing to rally his supporters. They're angry because they want him to be lying in the ICU uh, hooked up to a ventilator. They want him to be sick and they want his sickness to last a while. Um, they're demonic. This is why I call them demon rats. Remember, demon rat is only one letter removed from Democrat. And this is who they are. Thanks for the call. We'll be right back. The answer now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on one hundred two point five FM. Welcome to your life. Okay, ten thirty six and fourteen twenty. The answer. So this is an interesting uh, development. A GOP senator has announced his retirement and said he will not seek re-election in 2022. That doesn't impact us right now, but it does, obviously, in a couple of years. Pat Toomey is on his way out. Plans to go back to the private sector and give up his Senate seat from Pennsylvania. So that's interesting. You know, it's funny because I hear Hugh every morning talking about all of the various senators whose races are up this year uh, and how important it is. You know, Make America America Again, by the way, is a great, great website to get out the conservative vote. And he's constantly talking about the need for every single seat. Uh, I wonder the impact of decisions like this. And again, it's two years down the road, but um, it is something to be thinking about ahead of time because um, if you can replace rhino senators with actual conservative senators it's kind of like what we're doing with the supreme court uh put actual true constitutional conservatives in positions of authority it's very very uh it's very good news for everyone all right let's go back to the phones and we're going to hit uh lisa lisa woods in medina on am 1420 the answer hi lisa hey good morning well it's not a friday so i know we're not talking about a meeting (laughs) 
And I don't hey, think I there's was... a uh, I don't think there's a school board meeting today down in Columbus, is there? No, there is one next Monday and Tuesday, but we could talk about that later. I I'm really excited. I was one of the lucky people blessed to be in DC this weekend. Um, I was able to uh, be one of those folks out there by the Walter Reed Memorial Hospital. Wonderful. I bet that had to be an amazing atmosphere. It was. It was. But more importantly, that was just icing on the cake. Um, there was about 80 of us uh, from all over the country that were flown out to D.C. for a election protection summit. And Ohio was well represented. There was about 18 that signed up uh, from Ohio and from all over. We had a, a few from Medina, um, Lake, Geauga, Cincinnati area, you know, all, all over. And it was fabulous. We, uh, Saturday, they kept us hopping from one speaker to another. And at lunchtime, we had Sebastian Gorka there. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yes. Yes. And so it was about midday when they made the announcement that, uh, that they would be pushing dinner, uh, up a little bit early and that they had arranged for two buses to take us to the, to the, in front of the hospital. And you should have heard the screams from everybody in the room. We were just so excited to be able to be part of that. And we made signs and, and got out there. It, it was, it was really, really fun, and what a blessing. And I just want to encourage people, when you hear of these types of trainings, if you're that person that um, doesn't want to sit on the couch, right, we, we want to do something, we want to take an, the next step, uh, these groups like FreedomWorks, they, they arm you with the facts and the knowledge of, of what's going on so that you can get out there and, and make a bigger difference than what you have before. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. Uh, there are a ton of people who are ready to w- and willing to volunteer their time and their efforts. And, uh, I just love the atmosphere and the enthusiasm. That's the reason I brought that up when you, when you said you were there. You know, people rather than hanging their heads and saying, Oh my God, I'm just going to stay home and pray for President Trump. No, they said we want to inspire and encourage President Trump and bring flags and MAGA hats and just all kinds of, you know, enthusiasm and excitement for his recovery to Walter Reed, where you were, and obviously it works. You know, I mean, he came out and did the the tour there. You know, in the in the back of the car and the waves to everybody. It just shows that there is such a groundswell of support that you cannot see in the polls. I was talking to Jim Jordan about that earlier today. You cannot see it in the polls, but that support for the president is real. It's uh, you know the enthusiasm is off the charts, and I really think there's going to be a lot of people who are uh, crying and uh, and surprised on November third. <laughs> yeah, I. I hope more folks will will give those types of uh, events the chance and, and get out there. It's, it's safer and more fun than you would imagine. And you come back energized, ready to make a difference. You'll get busy twittering or or posting things and, and reaching out to people in your neighborhoods. And I actually, um, well, they. They even make it easy for you to help people in other states as well. So say maybe you're in a good area, and um, but you know that other parts of the country are, are, are in more danger of losing a seat. They can help get you uh, the information that you need so that you can sit right from your own home and make calls into those states or make that difference in, in many different ways. 
Yeah, yeah, you're you're a thousand percent right. That's and thank you, Lisa, for the phone call and the great message. Um, because you're right. Uh, you know, a lot of people who are in safe conservative areas. You know, maybe your money isn't going to do you do you much good in that area. But if you can find a candidate in another place that is in a fight, uh, then you know you need to get out there and support them in any way that you can. And those events do they provide you with all of the, the information you need to do it. Thank you, Lisa. Let's go to um, Navy Man Norm in Strongsville. Hey, Norm, good to have you. It's been a while. Uh, Bob, answering your question about what had happened to Ohio State, the very same thing that happened to my son's uh, alma mater, the formerly Catholic University of Notre Dame. Uh, back in May, uh, the Notre Dame football team all decided to wear their nice Black Lives Matter shirts, and their coach, Brian Kelly, knelt down with them and raised his arm in a clenched fist salute to which I responded with a letter to the president of Notre Dame and Brian Kelly and told them in uh, pleasant terms exactly what I thought of them. I says, evidently, I guess that clinch fist is your way of making a peaceful gesture towards the uh, mother of God, the Blessed Virgin, whom your university is named after. Bob, I've been watching and listening to Notre Dame football since 1949. I was probably one of the most rabid Notre Dame fans you would ever come across. I had no longer watch, listen, uh, or do have anything to do with the University of Notre Dame. It is a hypocritical administration that runs it. You have Father Jenkins, who allows and tolerates, uh, shall we say, LGBT2 professors, call us in the pro-life movement, white supremacists, to which she got another letter from me, but I'm sure it doesn't matter. Uh, Notre Dame is no longer Notre Dame. It's plain and simple. Nor is Ohio State, Ohio State. They're not the schools that went. And in my letter, Bob, there's a beautiful Sacred Heart Basilica on the campus of Notre Dame. And over the portal, as you come in there, the words God, country, Notre Dame are chiseled into the stone. So in my letter, I said, I would suggest strongly that maybe the next time that your football team enters the church, if they ever do, they look up and look at those three inscriptions, God, country, Notre Dame, because evidently they no longer believe in them, and especially the coaching staff, which I think is despicable, to support this lie, this Black Lives Matter. Uh, One other thing, I don't know what mass you... Uh, went to yesterday or what church. But my church, not a single word was mentioned about, let us pray for the President of the United States and our First Lady. So I confronted the priest afterward, and I said, why wasn't anything said in the offering of prayers? Oh, well, one of our deacons uh, makes up the thing beforehand, and, and basically, what does that have to do with now? If they made it up three days, three weeks, three months ahead of time, it has nothing to do with the fact that the priest on the altar could have said, let us take a moment of silence and pray for the health and well-being of our present First Lady. And this is a Catholic church? Not the kind of Catholic church I'm used to going to. No, it's 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 not. Um, and the way that it is usually done at our church, it's a generality. 
that you know in in the petitions uh, to God um, that we pray for all world leaders that they continue to strive for peace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and and you're right. Um, it would be nice if more. Uh, pastors, priests would, or, you know, not even just in Catholic churches, but in all of them would then specifically say, you know, especially for those in ill health, including our president and, and, and first lady, something of that would be appropriate. But I, I'll tell you this, unless they're, you know, doing what St. Ignatius has done and what John Carroll has done and what Notre Dame has done, Generally speaking, they will not allow politics to be brought into the church or be preached from the pulpit unless it's leftist politics. Uh, and praising President Trump, who is the most pro-life president of my lifetime and maybe of, of you know, in, in, in American history, I don't know, but praising President Trump uh, is, is just simply not going to be done in most churches. Uh, praising him, praying for him even, but they will indeed, as including the uh, institutions I just mentioned, from the high school to the collegiate levels, uh, these these Catholic institutions and these churches um, really only allow room for leftist politics to be preached. And, and they take their cues, as you know, Norm, from the Pope. And Pope Francis is obviously a very wildly, uh, a radically leftist pope. And, uh, you know, leadership starts at the top and it trickles down. And that's exactly what I think we're seeing in almost, you know, in almost every one of these uh, instances that we're talking about. Well, Bob, like it or not, they have to get used to it because every time I go to Mass, which is twice weekly or three times weekly, I wear a Veterans for Trump shirt and a Trump mask. So... They see me coming up to the altar, and they see me going down from the altar. So I've made sure that they get the message. Well, I'm glad you're spreading the message, Norm. I wish they would spread it themselves, though, because I agree with you. And, you know, I, I didn't even say they had to get up there and say in their sermon or in, in the petitions, vote for Donald Trump, but to pray for the recovery. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're even, and thanks for the call. Uh, um, we're moving on here, Norm. They're, they're even Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow, if you recall, the um, MSNBC far-left anchor, um, who who almost cried on the air four years ago when she made the call that President Trump was going to be the President of the United States. She's, she's as much of a Trump hater as anybody, anybody, really, uh, in media. But even she, when the diagnosis of President Trump was made, she made a non- um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it was not, it was not, um, uh, why am I I'm having a brain cramp on the word I'm looking for here? Not hypocritical, uh, sarcastic. It was a non-sarcastic, legitimate tweet of support for and concern for President Trump and the First Lady. I was so impressed because I, you just don't get it. You just, you just do not see this kind of thing from her. And by the way, since then, she has take, gone, gone back to, uh, you know, uh, criticizing the president, criticizing his doctors, criticizing the mixed message from the doctors versus the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, chief of staff, Mark Meadows, because they've been having some conflicting updates for the media about the president's condition. But on the day of the announcement of the president's illness, she tweeted the following. God bless the president and the first lady. If you pray, please pray for their speedy and complete recovery and for everyone infected everywhere. This virus is horrific and merciless. No one would wish its wrath on anyone. We must get through its spread. I'm sorry. We must get its spread under control. Enough. 
Now, that is about as genuine as I think I could imagine her being. It was genuine, it was sincere, and it was real, and it was non-sarcastic. If Rachel Maddow, a far-left member of the mainstream media that hates Donald Trump as president, can say, God bless the president and the first lady, if you pray, please pray for their speedy and complete recovery. Why can't our priests say it in the, uh, in the uh, Mass? Why can't our priests say something about it in the sermon, or at least in the petitions? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's very troubling. And Norm, I totally concur with your uh, with your assessment of that. All right, uh, quick time out. A few more phone calls before the top of the hour on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Ten fifty-three. I got time for a few more here before the top of the hour. Good Monday to you, uh, President Trump. May be coming home today, meaning from Walter Reed back to the White House, where he will continue his work, probably in semi-isolation. Uh, hopefully, he's not scheduling any rallies this week, um, and not because of fear of spread, but just the guy needs some rest. And the president's schedule has been unbelievable, and his energy and his stamina have just been a thing of inspiration. But uh, hopefully, as his body convalesces, uh, he will give it an opportunity to rest. Let's go to Dan in Middleburg. Uh, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Hi, Dan. Go ahead. Good morning. I'd like morning. to go back to the uh, your your uh, discussion of masks and common sense. Yes, sir. At the beginning of the program. Yes. Well, sir. up to this point, out of three hundred and forty million people, this, we're reporting supposedly about seven million cases of, of the China flu. Correct. Yes, that's that, that's okay. roughly what they're saying. Okay. Yeah. Well, according to CDC, for t- just two thousand nineteen twenty, we have fifty eight million cases of the flu. And one billion cases of the common cold, which is a, which is also a coronavirus. Okay, it's yes, there it are various strains, but some people get two or three a year, so that's how they come up with the billion. So I'm using common sense here, and this in, in the cold and the and the 58 million for the flu. This is like every year from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, the medical. Uh, associations, you know, the medical doctors, the health departments, and the government knew that you had 58 million cases of flu. Now, that's contagious, but no one ever in all those years ever suggested masks. So I believe that they know masks are not valid. And it's just a political way to control people at this point in their lives. Yeah, um, I've been saying that for a while now, and I concur with your assessment, too. It is a control issue. This is what it is. They are trying to make sure that everybody will comply with direct orders from a gov- from the government, even if it's not a law, even if it's not something passed by a legislature. It's a dictatorial order from a governor or, in you know, in the case of Ohio, a health director with the governor's approval. Um, to to comply, you know, and that's what it is. It's a symbol of compliance, and that's why. And thanks for the call, Dan. That's why I, you know, wear the badge uh, from CFFS CitizensForFreeSpeech.org. Make sure you join. It's free. Please become a member of Citizens for Free Speech uh, at CitizensForFreeSpeech.org. And if you're an Ohio resident, obviously most people listening are CitizensForFreeSpeech.org/slash/Ohio. Get the badge and wear it around your neck anywhere you go, and that's what I wear instead of a mask. And if anybody gives me a hard time, I show them the badge and say, I am exempt from wearing your mask, and I will not comply. 
And uh, if they ask me why are you exempt, I say it's none of your business. It's between me and my doctor. That's just the way that it is. And you need one of those badges so that you do not comply. If you comply with the mask, you're going to end up complying with the, vi- the vaccination. And then Lord only knows what's going to happen. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Kenny and LaGrange on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Kenny, good to have you on the uh, airwaves instead of on the email side. Go ahead, sir. <laughs> uh, thanks for taking my call. My wife and I had the yeah. opportunity yesterday to join the Trump train, uh, leaving North Olmstead, going out to Lake County. And it was an eye-opening excursion, to say the least. We had a lot of people. I saw to pictures. Us. I saw pictures and videos. It looked amazing. Yes, it was. It, it, that's my first time, so I I really felt engaged. Uh, we got a lot of waves. We had flags on other vehicles. We had horn honking, thumbs up. Uh, practically every veteran on the road gave us a thumbs up. But I think we found the new uh, logo for the Democratic Party. You know how they used to have the donkey or the jackass. Sure. Right now, right now, it's an arm hanging out of the window with the middle digit raised as high as it can <laughs> as it can go. So I think they ought to put that on their new banners. Yeah, they're a classy bunch, aren't they, uh, Kenny? Uh, no, that's an overstatement. <laughs> uh, no, that that's uh, well, you know, that that pretty much is um, uh, symbolic of what they believe. Honestly, you, you know what else you probably notice, Kenny? You probably noticed more American flags than you did even Trump flags at a Trump train rally. Whenever my wife and I go to a different community, drive through for whatever reason or another, we look for uh, Trump flags uh, or Trump signs, I should say, and we count them compared to Biden signs. When there's no sign, Trump or Biden, but there is an American flag flying at that house, we count that as a Trump sign. Because the left simply hates the flag. They hate what it stands for. And quite frankly, you know, they hate the country that it represents. And that's the reason why uh, uh, you see so much of what you do at those uh, at those rallies. It was just a wonderful day. I encourage everybody to do it at least once. I totally agree. And you know what? There's going to be plenty more of them in the next 28 days or whatever it is until the election. And I hope people do take part in that. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. God bless. Uh, that's Kenny and LaGrange, and unfortunately, everybody else that's on hold is going to be stuck there, and I apologize for that, but please call back tomorrow, and we'll try to get you on the air as quickly as we can. Tomorrow being a Tuesday is Kersenow Day. We are also reaching out, FYI, to uh, Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State, to make sure that you have all of the instructions you need for early voting, which begins tomorrow, and also to the professor at Ohio State to find out why he felt the need to apologize for loving college football. All of that coming on tomorrow's program. Have a great day today. We'll see you then.